As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains accounts of sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. I would say the whole thing was like a waking nightmare. You're like, you keep thinking you're going to wake up, but you're not, where you just 
tense and stressed and nothing changes and, you know, I was trying to work during this. We also had a younger daughter. My husband's going to work. My daughter had girls bullying her. So we actually ended up changing schools. I ended up losing one job because I'd been taking time off all the time. The team leader actually came up to me at one point and said, no more time off without pay. I'm not doing this anymore. That might sound like what life is like after everyone in the community discovers that someone in your family has been convicted of committing a violent crime. Like a living nightmare that you can't wake up from. Constant tension and stress, every day the same, in which your children are bullied and have to change schools, and you have to take so much time off from your job that you're eventually sacked after copping abuse from your team leader in front of everybody. But the woman we're hearing from today isn't an offender. No one in her family has committed a crime. She contacted us because she wanted all of us to know about her family's experience after they reported the rape of her 15-year-old daughter by a family friend. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. The family we're hearing about today still lives in the community in regional Victoria where the attack took place in 2012 and for that reason we've chosen to protect their identities. We do have the permission of the victim although she's elected not to participate herself. This is her mother's story. During the conversation we'll reference the SOCKET units. SOCKET stands for Sexual Offences and Child Abuse Investigation Teams and they're specialised units within Victoria Police. They were set up originally by Narelle Fraser's mentor, Lorraine Blackwell. We've uploaded an extra episode for you this week. It's a special conversation with Narelle and Lorraine, which featured the origins of the socket units, among other things, to remind us of what they're really all about. The episode was originally for patrons only, but I felt it was only fair because the story you're about to hear is not flattering to one particular socket unit. I'd hate to give the impression that it's reflective of everyone who works in the field or for Victoria Police, but it has to be said that the incidents described by this guest are by no means isolated. If you need to talk to someone about sexual assault, call 1800RESPECT 1800 737 732. I think it's very important to outline to people how we're treating victims, especially victims of sexual violence and children. And I think what's been happening the last couple of weeks, especially in Parliament, is showing that as well again. And I think it's really important to just keep bringing it up and saying that we're not supporting these people enough, we're not supporting families and victims uh, enough at all. And I know that that's... That's been a a theme through your podcast as well. That's so interesting because people ask me this question. Someone just asked me a couple of days ago, are all politicians out of touch to do with this issue? And I said, oh, gosh, I mean, you can't generalise like that, all politicians. It's a hard question to answer. But I suppose they were feeling really let down by the sort of top line politicians, by the prime minister, by those cabinet ministers. So that's really interesting for you to say that is that's your feeling that those top level guys are. Yes. Yep. 
Yep. And and I just think generally in the public and through my experiences, people don't react the way you think they're going to and they can say some really awful things and you get quite surprised by that. I was very surprised. A lot of victim blaming, so a lot of, um, well, what did she get in the car for? Well, because she knew him um, and she trusted him. Um, Why did you let someone like that around your daughter? Well, because he didn't have rapists written on his forehead, you know, like... They never do, babe. If they did, they wouldn't get near women. That's what I always say. If rapists and pedophiles looked like rapists and pedophiles, they wouldn't get near their victims. Exactly, exactly. But I was surprised that we got, you know, things like this from the police as well and who were in the Sexual Offences Unit. Okay, so I, I, I guess you better tell us the story and take us through, unfortunately, um, we always get to this point where we do need you to tell us a bit about your story so that we can understand how those things were said and, and how inappropriate they were. So if you wouldn't mind just explaining to us how it was that, that you and your family ended up having to face the judicial system and, and go through this process, because we know that it's so foreign to us all until we find ourselves having to figure it out and learn our way through it. So how did you and your family end up in this situation? Exactly. Well, on the um, 11th of August 2012, I got up to take, we had a little puppy and I got up to take the puppy out to the toilet and I noticed that the back door was ajar. And I thought, oh, that's strange. Why is that opened? So I shut that and I went for some reason to check on my daughter, who's my 15-year-old daughter, whose room was down the back and she wasn't there. And I sort of thought, oh, my God, where's where is she? So I woke up my husband and I said, oh, she's not there. We can't find her. So we were going around the house and we live in a really small town that has a milk bar, a pub and a football field. And there's probably only 250 people here and we're surrounded by orchards. There's not a lot of places she could have gone. It sounds like the kind of place where you would feel as though you know everybody. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you feel really safe and so we're thinking, well, she couldn't have gone far. My husband went looking around the orchard and driving down the road and we sort of thought maybe she'd just snuck out to go hang out with some of the teenagers that lived in town. So we were just driving around looking for her and I stayed back at the house and she turned up a couple of hours later and she was very dishevelled. She had leaves in her hair, her clothes were a mess. She was at the least drunk, but I would say that she probably looked drugged as well. Her pupils and her eyes were very strange. She was very aggressive. She wouldn't speak to us. She just pushed me over and said, I'm going to bed and didn't want to speak. And me and my husband were sort of asking, where are you being? Who are you being with? And all this, and she wouldn't answer. And so we sort of gave up. And our assumption was that she'd been at other teenagers' houses in the area. The time that she did show up, would that have normally been a time where you guys would have still been in bed so you wouldn't not have noticed that she'd been away if, had you not got up yes. to the puppy? Yes, yes, definitely. So I think I got up to the puppy about 2 or 2.30, 3 o'clock and she came back in the house about 5 and I had, I'm an early sleeper, so I went to bed early probably about 9.30 and my husband went to bed probably about... 11 and we'd left her up sitting on the back couch watching a movie so that was fine and I said you know we said to her go to bed when the movie's finished so but yeah so the next morning I got her up early 
and made her wash her clothes because they smelt like smoke, like campfire smoke. So we assumed that she'd been, you know, out hanging around with some local kids and she just said that, oh, I was out with with some friends and that's what she told us. So I made her wash her clothes and and change her bed because her bed smelt and that was that. But I sort of, it was funny, I sort of had this niggly feeling that there was something else, something wasn't quite right, whether something happened with these kids or I didn't know, but I knew she was upset. And a couple of days later we were sitting on the couch and she was coming home from school and my husband's a corrections officer and a car pulled up out the front and she got out and The driver got out and the driver was actually an ex-inmate. Oh. Um, So she knew his daughter. As I said, it's quite a small area, so everybody knows everybody else. And um, my husband's like, why is a prisoner at my house? (laughs) And she came in with them and we were like completely shocked and and dumbfounded and we're like, what's going on? And um, he said something to tell you she told his daughter and then his daughter had told him and he said well no I'm going to pick her up and make her tell her parents oh gosh what an interesting moment I've just had (laughs) oh we have to we have to stop don't we gosh we have to really take a moment wow because I'm so judgmental (laughs) oh no I just had a moment that I think you guys had too where we we felt really um nervous about this former prisoner dropping your daughter home, thinking he was someone we needed to be nervous about when actually he is a person who's been really helpful in this situation. That's right. That's right. I'll have a hard look at myself a little bit later on, but thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, And he said, so he's got something to tell you. So we looked at and she said, oh, um, sexually assaulted me the other night and in my mind I went aha I knew something had happened but out loud I just went stop okay everybody stop for a minute we're taking you to the police they left and I said thank you to them and, and everything and we drove her straight to our local police station it's interesting that you said stop I sometimes say stop to my children just stop out loud as a word when I'm getting just overwhelmed with information and just like I can't, and I never said it before I had children actually, but when I can't take everything in at once, was it that? Or, or what do you think? Why did you say that? Did you not want her to have to say it twice? Or why did you say stop, do you think, in that moment? Um, I think it was I wanted her to give the story to the police and not have any sort of interference or input or from anyone else. And also I couldn't imagine saying it more than once or twice. Like that must be awful. So, oh, I actually forgot a bit. So after she went and saw, um, she said she'd gone out with these people other kids when we thought it was still kids. We had taken her to the police station and said there were kids drinking and she'd gone missing. Yeah, because I wasn't going to, I was saying, who who are these kids? And she said that they were older kids, 18 and 17, and I said, okay, so they gave you alcohol. She was, yeah. So I forgot that bit, sorry. 
You took her to the police when you, you, so you thought you were just having an intervention about sneaking out and drinking, like underage drinking. You, you just took her to the cop That's shop right. to say, you know, have a bit of scary business about drinking in the park. Exactly. Yep. And she never said anything. No, no. And we took her to the doctor too. Wow. Because she was saying she couldn't remember what happened. And I was really sus that she'd taken something or been given something. But she told her friend at school, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty normal, isn't it? That she felt uncomfortable talking to you, but she went to school and told her mate. Exactly. Exactly. And her mate freaked out and told her, dad, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. So we went to the police station and we were talking to a constable. She was quite young and she was taking a statement and we were sort of sitting there all just all in shock. A member of the socket unit there came in and said, stop, it's not our area. So the socket member came in and said, stop talking. This isn't our jurisdiction, basically. You have to go back to your own town and tell that socket. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't actually our town, but our the area that she was actually attacked in was in their town because it's that whole jurisdiction thing I was like. It's jurisdiction. So it's frustrating because I, I sort of understand. I don't really, to be honest, but okay, we'll go with it. I guess that makes it better for them when it comes to court. But for you guys in that moment, it's like, hang on, this is a child and she's trying to tell her story and you're saying to her, shush, stop, get back in the car and drive however long to another police station and start again. That's hard. Uh, it wasn't until the next day. It was, they'll come <sighs> and meet you at your local police station the next day at 11 o'clock. So you guys have got to get through the afternoon, the night, the morning. Yep. Oh, man, yeah. that's hard on a family. So then we went to the local police station the next day at 11 and met Narelle Fraser. Okay, that's a good thing. Yes. So Narelle was wonderful. I mean, I can't say enough good things about Narelle, and I think that that's the reason why she was such a great detective. I, I know that she said to you in a podcast that she thinks she mightn't be so good because she took everything on and people who distance themselves are better, but I'd say she was perfect the way she was. <laughs> Me too. And also she was part of the beginning of sockets, like the beginning of this whole idea of getting all the disciplines that it took to investigate sexual assaults under one umbrella. So she was passionate about that idea and her mentor in sort of invented that. So that was a lucky break. Okay, finally. Yeah, yeah, she was great. So she asked us if she could take the video statement they take and they had to have someone from CASA on the line, on a phone line in edit as well. Yeah, the Centre Against Sexual Assault, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we weren't in that. We weren't allowed to hear that because so, we weren't allowed to be seen as to putting any input in or anything like that. So it was probably good that I said stop at first when she started talking about it. And then Narelle came out and took statements from me and my husband and um, she was just lovely. She was really great. And she said, oh, look, it's definitely rape. He's going to be charged with rape. What she's going, I can see him also be charged with kidnapping and all this sort of stuff. Um, so now I'm so sorry to inter- keep interrupting. I'm really, okay. really sorry. But I find that people often sort of gloss over their own places in these stories. And I just want to make sure that we don't do that with you because you're a mum and This is massive. Yes. And Narelle's a lovely lady and she comes out and says to you as a mum, look, we're probably going to charge this man with raping your daughter and with kidnapping your daughter. Now let's not gloss over that. No. 
let's talk about that moment with you and your husband. I mean, you know, yeah, okay. You don't know how to process it. It doesn't sink in at first. You're just um, in shock. You just you can't even compute it. Because it sounds to me like you, as far as you knew, you were living a really normal life. You got up to let the puppy out at two in the morning. Yeah. And the next thing you knew, you've got this nice police lady telling you she's charging a man with abducting and raping your daughter. Yes. Yep. And um, having a husband who my husband was a veteran, so he was, he, well, he's a veteran. He's, he was ex-infantry and a corrections officer now. And so he suffers from PTSD from overseas as well. And he just, he couldn't deal with any of it. And he just wanted to kill him. I mean, I remember Narelle sitting down next to him and saying, now don't do anything silly. I've got this covered, you know. Of course. And she knows that as soon as she hears your husband's background, she's like red flags. Yeah. And also the way you described, you you just mentioned this person's first name, this offender, which makes me feel as though you knew him. Yes. So my daughter had been um, riding horses for him. She'd ridden in a few rodeos on horses under his tutelage and she'd also dated his son. So, you know, he was he was well known to us. So that brings with it its own feelings of of missing things and allowing someone into your life yeah exactly exactly and as we as we said before you know they don't they're not monsters so you don't know but that's grooming I mean that's what grooming's all about exactly exactly grooming the whole family not just the victim but the whole family yes and and that was the thing too Narelle said to us when she listened to statement and everything she said oh geez he's got this down pat I wouldn't be surprised if he'd done this before mate if there's one thing Narelle knows it's sexual offenders she can pick these patterns from a mile away yeah yeah which makes you know as a parent you feel really stupid you're like oh my god no I didn't see this I didn't think of this I didn't yeah Of course not, but that's why Narelle's got PTSD because she spent years dealing with these horrible offenders and she saw these patterns. You shouldn't have to. Yeah. So you were told this terrible news. Narelle walked out and broke it to you in the best way she possibly could that uh, she believed that she could could charge this offender, which is a double-edged sword. It's good news in that she feels as though she has enough. It's bad news in that she's breaking to you that this is what's happened to your baby. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and you don't. We didn't even get time to really think either, because Narelle said um, it had actually happened on the banks of the Murray River. He'd driven her there, so she said, um, "We'll get in the car and we'll go there, and she can show me where it is if she can pick out the spot again." And I've called the forensic police, and they're going to meet us there, so we can see what we can find there. So we hopped in the car and we were driving there and it's actually quite funny. I was thinking because I listened to your podcast one day and Narelle was saying she got a speaking fine driving home one day and we were driving behind Narelle and we lost her and I'm going to my husband, oh, my God, we're losing her, keep up. And he's going, but she can drive like that. So oh, we went to the McDonald's first because um, he'd taken my daughter to McDonald's 
So I'll take Mitchie first. He, oh, do you want me to tell you exactly what happened before we go on? You tell me exactly what you want to tell me. You go for it. So he had arranged to meet her at 12 o'clock at night down the street from our house saying that he wanted to talk to her about the horses, something to do with the horses. Which, and, of course, so, she loved the horses. Of course she did. So if he's saying, I need to talk to you about the horses, of course she's going to be there. Exactly, yep. So she went, snuck out and went, and um, when she got in the car, he gave her an open can of Coke and he put a little bit of, I um, can't remember what it was, Bundy in it or something, just a little splash and said, oh, you know, here you are, have a little bit of that. And she's thinking, you know, I guess as a 15-year-old does, oh, I'm all naughty, you know. But we think it had maybe Oxycontin and Speed in it as well. She ended up very, very sick, um, vomiting, in and out of consciousness. So then he drove from our small town about a 45-minute drive and went to McDonald's and got himself some food and then took her out to the river. So we went with Narelle to McDonald's first because she wanted to see if they had footage of them there. And would you believe the cameras weren't working that night? But he did leave his hat, black cowboy hat, that would have had tons of DNA on it because it would have been very sweaty and that, but they'd thrown it out and the bins had been emptied that morning. Yeah, it was sort of one of those things that you were just like, okay. Then Narelle said, we'll go out to the river and find the spot. So they went down and um, he built a fire and put a swag down and they'd been there. And one really great thing was that with the forensic police, they found his McDonald's drink and straw. Yep, so they got the DNA off that. They found empty Oxycontin packets And they found a patch of dark dirt, which was where had thrown up. So the forensic police took all that. Narelle took um, photos and I think and all that sort of stuff. And then she said, I need you to drive down to the forensic nurse. And then she was going to go back and she'd get back in contact with us later on. So we drove down to the forensic nurse and um, that was when we first encountered a detective called and she was the polar opposite of Narelle, not friendly, not nice at all, didn't really say much, sort of got a little bit huffy, I think, because she couldn't cooperate with the forensic nurse. She couldn't relax enough, so they couldn't complete their exam. Yeah, well, I bet. I mean, I don't know exactly what the sexual assault exam entails, but I can imagine. And I can also imagine how a, a teenager couldn't relax enough to allow it to happen. I mean, that's got to be common, right? Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Thank you to our patrons, Wyatt Zacker, Kathy Conway Archer, Sarah Lupton, Andrea Karen. Georgia Ulhorn and Tegan Johnson. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. 
That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. That was when we first encountered a detective called and she was the polar opposite of Narelle, not friendly, not nice at all. Didn't really say much. Sort of got a little bit huffy, I think, because we couldn't cooperate with the forensic nurse she couldn't relax enough so they couldn't complete their exam yeah well I bet I mean I don't know exactly what the sexual assault exam entails but I can imagine and I can also imagine how a a teenager couldn't relax enough to allow it to happen I mean that's got to be common right yeah you'd think so wouldn't you yeah so what had happened when, when he'd taken her down the river and set up the camp for on the swag, when she had woken up because she'd obviously passed out or something and um, she felt cold and it was because she didn't have any clothes on. He'd taken all her clothes off and was raping her. Um, she had to turn her head to throw up and things like that and um, he didn't stop and she tried to start to make noise but he put his hand over her mouth and said, sure, sure, I don't want to go to jail and all that sort of stuff, and when he'd finished, he just got her dressed and actually drove her home. And because he was telling her the whole way home, it's all your fault, you sent me all the messages, you gave me all the signals, and I think that's what she believed. Which again would suggest to me this isn't the first time he has done this. That is sort of a way of uh, gaining silence from his victim to try and convince her on the way home that she's at least complicit in the attack. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think for a long, long time, and I probably think she almost probably still does on some level think it's still her fault. I mean, I've heard her say to me, I shouldn't have gone with him, but, you know, that's not her fault. Of course not. If you phoned me in the middle of the night and said, I need to talk to you about some horses at Macca's, I would be there. (laughs) I swear to God, I would be there, you know? And as a 15-year-old girl, they were her life. Yeah, of course. The horses were her life. That's what she loved. Yeah. And this is the father of her boyfriend. I mean, 
all of it yes. is so manipulative. It's so understandable, I believe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we went home and we just sort of waited to see what would happen. And came out and told me had been trying to contact her on Facebook saying, don't go to the police, don't talk to the police, you know. Um, and she had told him already did. So I thought, oh, no, I better ring and let her know. She didn't even let me finish. She just went, oh, what is she doing? Is she a silly little girl? Is she making this up? Is she lying about this? And I was like, well, no. And then she said, have you seen the video statement? And I said, no. And she as a detective should know we're not allowed to see that statement. And Norella told us that gave a great statement. Said to me that the statement wasn't good enough. She doesn't like it. She doesn't believe lying. Not a good enough witness. Uh, she has better cases than this. And do you know how busy she is? And we, I was just in shock. I was just. We, I actually had her on speakerphone and my husband had a brand-new four-wheel drive and he backed it into a tree. He was just listening to this, like, we were just, I didn't even know what to say back. No, because your parents, I mean, I don't need to overstate it, do I? You're in your own hell. This is terrible. I think it was another level for me too. I was um, brought up by my grandparents and my grandfather was the poli- a policeman and he was a very well-known policeman. He he taught at the academy in his spare time and they used to have a big picture of him on the wall when you walked in. And I was always brought to believe that they're these great people and if you're in trouble and you have a problem, you go to them and you'll be safe and it'll all be good. And it's just, it wasn't like that at all. Well, Narelle was, but um, she wasn't on the case anymore. So the case had been given to I'm not sure why. I'd hate somebody complaining about me to my back. So I emailed and I said, I'm not happy with the way that you spoke to me. I'm not happy with the things that you said. I think I would prefer if there was someone else on the case. I don't think you're quite right with the way that it's fitting. Do you know what I mean? Sort of. And I also said, how would you feel if this had happened to your daughter? How would, how would, would you, is this the way you'd want to be spoken to? And in this time also I went to the courts and got an intervention order because I'm thinking here's a man who raped my daughter contacting her. Like shouldn't the police have got the intervention order? I didn't know, but I went and got an intervention order and we were in front of Stella Suffrage Magistrate and she was furious when she read my application and said to the duty lawyer, lawyer Brian, um, what's, what's going on? Get these detectives on the, on the line, talk to them and we'll adjourn you, come back. And when we come back, he said they wouldn't talk to me either. They won't talk to me. She was just in shock and she issued the, the order. But apparently when you make a complaint you're in, in like a witness, he shouldn't have been contact, contacting her anyway because that's interference with the witness. But I've never said anything about that. That's right. Who's telling him that? Who's telling you that if not your detective? And this is this harsh learning curve that you're on. You don't know that. I wouldn't no, know that. No. And you're, and you're at a complete loss. You're at the, the complete power of the police and the courts and everything because you don't know. Yeah, so Brian actually said something to me which was quite shocking. He was the duty lawyer. I can't think of his last name, but he was a very well-respected lawyer. He'd been here for quite a long time. 
So I guess he's seen a lot. He said um, the system's broken. It can't be fixed. And that if we were rich or famous, it would matter, but we're not, so nobody cares. So these are the sorts of people who continue to work in the system because they want to be of service to people like you, but they're sort of jaded to the point where they'll say to people like you, look, I'm sorry, this is all we've got to work with, but I'm here and I'm doing my best. That's it, yeah. Meanwhile, how is your daughter going, by the way? How is she, I mean, you are, you're, you're trying to be the, you're, you're trying to be the icebreaker at the head of this ship. You're trying to take as much of this on as you can, clearly. You've got a husband with PTSD. You've got a daughter who is a victim. It seems to me as though, as usual, mum is out the front trying to take on as much of this as she can. Would that be fair to yes, say? Yes, definitely. How, how is everybody else going behind you with this? I think it's just like a, um, I would say the whole thing was like a waking nightmare. You're like, you keep thinking you're going to wake up, but you're not. And you're just in, in shock and, and one day after the other is just sort of a rolling on thing of where you're just tense and stressed and nothing changes. And, you know, I was trying to work during this. We also had a younger daughter. My husband's going to work at um, the prison where he works and he just didn't want to deal with any of the prisoners. Um, but his bosses were really good and supported him. Um, so, and, and my daughter was just, we were trying to find counselling and things like that. That's the other thing. Nobody told us where to go for counselling, who to see, who, who can give us help. There was, we, we didn't know. We didn't know anything. No, I've said this before. I always imagined that when you're a victim of crime, especially serious crime, that somebody comes to you and says, don't worry, here's everything you need. Here's your counselling. Here's your lawyer. Here's your all your services that you need. I was so shocked to learn that, no, no, none of that. There is no person. You're just left to figure all of that out for yourself. Uh, stunning. Exactly. Yeah, you just kind of cut adrift. And left to float and you find your own way. Because perpetrators get that. Perpetrators get all that. And this was another thing, my husband being in corrections and I had actually worked in corrections as well, we knew how much they get. And so now we were learning from the other side going, well, this is quite different. So did you finally get a court date? I assume he get he got charged. Oh, not for a long time. He wasn't even interviewed for a year. So, so he's out and about in the you're still in this yeah. tiny community. Yeah. <laughs> so he lives um, a couple of hours away, but it was still because it's sort of the border region. Every you know everybody sort of, and especially when you're in that horsey community. Um. So he and his best friends were. Not far from here, so he'd be coming down, driving past the house, all that sort of stuff. And and one of the things was they were saying they couldn't find him. But that's funny, we knew exactly where he was. Of course, where else would he be? But after I'd sent that email and said those things to her, I got a phone call, and I'll always remember this phone call because I went and got a massage and I thought, oh, I really need a massage. So I went and got a massage and I just paid paid for it and after I'd finished and we're walking out, my phone rang and it was his boss and that massage just went right out the window. <laughs> Shoulders way back up to the ears, yep. <laughs> yeah. um, So I can't exactly remember his name because he didn't really get 
let me get a word in. He spoke at me and was quite aggressive. Um, he blasted me and I felt like a little kid. And he just said that um, he had in his office and she was very upset. How dare I upset one of his best detectives? She's been a detective for 10 years and who did I think I was? And that if I didn't want her on the case, well, he doesn't have a lot of detectives in there all busy, so the case wouldn't go anywhere and it would just be put on the back burner. So we have her on that one. Who do I think I am? I'm the mother of a 15-year-old rape victim. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I don't think I'd ever met police like this. I was quite shocked. So, yeah, obviously I had to agree to that. Because your option is either you cop who now really doesn't like yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Or you don't have the sexual assault of your daughter investigated at all. So they're your yeah. options. We just sort of went along and we were waiting for information and um, we'd ring and, and wouldn't answer or wouldn't take the call or wasn't there or, you know, that sort of stuff. And um, so I was sort of asking around, asking local police, well, any police that I knew, what, what, what do I do? And um, I had one that sort of coached me in um, boot camp group and that, and they're all saying, make a complaint. This is ridiculous. And But there's nowhere. Where do you make a complaint to? So I found this corruption line number and I called that. And the officer answered and, and she listened to my story and she said, well, that's not corruption, and hung up. Like she didn't even tell me where to go, where to make a complaint. So, again, I was just kind of like searching around, asking people, and I came across how to make a police integrity complaint. So it's not, it's hard to find. It's, they don't put it out in the open. So I sent an email into that and detailed everything that had happened. And this has probably been going on eight, nine months now. And I got a call from a detective who was from the section that deal with these complaints, and he said he'd investigate it. Then he contacted me and said, oh, we're in. Can you come to the Quest Hotel and, and talk to us about it and everything? And I said, yep, okay. So I left work and went there, and it was him and another detective and um, I was told that they'd had a look at it. They believed that my main problem was communication and that she'd be getting a senior detective who would be taking over and supervising the case, but she'd still sort of be there. And would I sign this letter? But, by the way, they had it all typed up, all printed out, all done, ready for me to sign that I was going to withdraw the complaint. What? They'd written a letter on your behalf for you to sign on the spot. Yep, they already had it with them. So I ended up signing the letter because all I wanted was for them to move this case forward. That's all I wanted. Oh, my God, you signed it there on the spot? Yep. Oh. Because they said that if I sign this letter, it'll the case will move forward and we'll go and it'll all be good and, Yeah. Did you have a lawyer, by the way, at any point, did you have any legal representation, you know, to do with your daughter's case or any of this? No. No. We were told constantly by the detectives, we don't need one. Of course not, because you're you're, you're part of the prosecution's case, so you don't need your own lawyer. Exactly. And, And I guess I was naive because I grew up with a policeman who, you just, you just think police are good. And also hiring a lawyer is expensive, so for all of those reasons. Oh, yeah. 
Finally, was interviewed one year later. This is the alleged perpetrator at this stage, alleged. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we weren't told any of this. I only found out this later on. This new detective called me one day and said that, oh, they're going to send the case to New South Wales because the Vic surveyors had decided that because it happened on the bank of the Murray, that it was actually covered under New South Wales jurisdiction. So I was like, oh, my God, here we go. We start from the start all over again. So it went to New South Wales and I got a phone call from a detective at Daniloquin and she was lovely. She would be the Norelle of New South Wales. And she's, she's a mother of four and she was just wonderful. And she said she got the brief and she got it all. She was disgusted as to why Vic Pol had taken so long. She didn't understand why they'd taken so long. She was shocked, but she was going to get him. She said, I'm going to get him. I'm going to arrest him and I'm going to get him. But, and this is where I went, oh, oh. my bosses want a surveyor to do the area again because they believe it's still in Victoria. So this all took probably another six months or so. And um, she rang me one day and she said, oh, really sorry, but the surveyors have said it's in Victoria. So it's going back now. And she said, do you want me to get our bosses to call your boss and say this needs to be taken care of. And I said, no, it's okay. Look, I didn't I was, didn't really want to upset Vic Pol anymore. I was trying to just get the case to move forward. So anyway, I called the detective to say that the case was coming back and I was actually sitting at my desk at work and I said, oh, um, the case is coming back to Victoria. And he said, fuck, guess I have to fucking deal with it then. And, yeah, I just... I didn't know what to do. I felt like um, the world was collapsing. I just felt completely and utterly alone that, that I, I don't know, that there was no stable ground anymore, like the foundations built on these people are supposed to be who you go to when bad things happen and the, and the fact is that they don't care. And I don't know if, it, if his attitude was because we'd made the complaint about... I felt that they'd closed ranks. All this time being in a small town, my daughter had told her friend who then told the school, I don't know why, you know, girls gossip. And um, she had girls bullying her. They were yelling things out like, I don't date 45-year-old men. Um, one boy told her to kill herself. The teachers um, defended him saying, oh, he doesn't understand the gravity of what he said. I said, like, are you kidding? A 16, 17-year-old boy knows what that means. So he actually ended up changing schools. Um, I ended up losing one job because I'd been taking time off all the time and um, HR were all for it and really good, but the team leader actually came up to me at one point and said, no more time off without pay, I'm not doing this anymore. And he knew what was going on with my family and I was just like, I don't know, Some, I, th- I think some people thought that I was dramatic but getting bullied, the psychologist was telling us she was suicidal, the police weren't being helpful. I just, yeah, was completely overwhelmed. So, I mean, all this time we're just an incredibly stressed household of course you are. 
how are your relationships going, by the way? Oh. May I be so pertinent as to ask, how are your relationships going? I mean, you know, three years back, your husband had PTSD. Your daughter was a teenage victim of sexual assault. You had a younger daughter. You were the mum out front just trying to drag everybody through this. How are your relationships going years down the During track? During that whole period, so the whole thing right up to the end of it took eight, nine years. D- I think we drank way too much. Of course. I really do think that was a problem. I can remember times having a drink and um, my youngest would come up to me the next day and go, um, oh, mummy, do you remember last night you were just crying on the couch? And I was like, oh, no, I can't even remember that. And that's when that got really scary and I was like, oh, okay, I'm drinking too much because I can't even remember. Having lived through COVID lockdown in Melbourne, I totally relate now. You know, like I couldn't have related to that a year ago. Honestly, I swear to you, I couldn't have related to that a year ago, but now I actually can. And that's so pathetic because that is nowhere close, but I feel like I I can actually relate to that now. I don't know how you did this for eight or nine years and how was your husband going and how how were you going parenting your younger daughter for all that time? Oh, well, I'll tell you about it at the end, but she actually has quite a lot of difficulties now. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, And that's all due to growing up in this incredibly stressed household for so long. I think my husband just, he disassociated. He buried himself in his work and everything else. He couldn't deal with it at all. He'd get he'd get really angry though. He broke his hand once smashing a mirror, so he punched the mirror. Um, I think there were a few holes in walls. And me, I I just had to keep everything together. I'm the bum, so yeah. We finally got our charges, went to court, and we went. And I don't think a detective realised I was sitting sort of behind him in the corner. And when the charges came up. There, she was a great magistrate. She's called Jenny Crichton. And um, when the charges came up and the OPP said, oh, we're charging so-and-so with rape of this girl, and she read the charges and she was obviously realised the date that it had happened and the date that we're in court now. And she said, why are these charges taking so long? Who is protecting this child? And the OPP didn't, he didn't know what to say, the lawyer. He was sort of, um, 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 well, if you can adjourn for a minute, I'll, I'll talk to the detective. And she went, oh, is he here? And, she, and he went, yeah, he's behind me. She said, get him up here. So she got him up here to the front and um, she said, why, why all the delays? What's going on? Why is this taking so long? And detective said, oh, well, there's border issues, Your Honour. And she said, don't give me that try again and so he said oh your honor there are issues with the mother and that's how he said it the mother and and I mean anybody can go and get the ma- uh, the magistrate court's recordings or whatever so I'm, I'm not making this up but that's exactly what he said and I actually hit my husband I like went what you know like hit him and went what look and I was trying to control myself but I couldn't because I just wanted to strangle him I was thinking if it delays from me, if it was up to me, it would have been in court three years ago. <laughs> yeah, the mother. You know what? I can take that. If, if this is what it takes to get it done, mate, call me Karen. I don't care. I'm the, I'll be the biggest Karen in the whole world. <laughs> the trial had started on a Monday. We'd all given our evidence by the Monday, Tuesday. 
and then we had to wait till the Friday for the decision, but I think they were only out for an hour or two. They weren't out for very long at all. The social worker called us and said, oh, it's guilty. And so we were just like, oh, there went all of this, like it just... It just, I can't even explain it. It was just like this huge load just went. We could breathe. It was, we were thinking, oh, my God, it's over. So, yeah, um, that would have been, yeah, seven years. And then we were told when sentencing was and um, it was really good. He was given nine years with six and a half parole which is quite a long sentence in Victoria. Um, It did take a terrible toll on our family. Our youngest daughter has recently been diagnosed with um, extreme anxiety and borderline personality disorder, they say due to trauma. So she's actually tried to commit suicide a few times last year. And that's where, like, I sort of really copped it from the psychologists too and that when they were saying, oh, you know, the household that she grew up in and things and I'm sort of thinking, mums can't win. I can't, I, I can't please everyone. I tried to do the best that I could for everyone but obviously I, I didn't. Oh, God, I feel so pathetic for saying this because I say this to my twins and I am nothing compared to you <sighs> but I say to them all the time, I'm just one person. And and I just say that because I'm a I'm a single mum of twins. But listen, you are just one person, and you they need everyone needs to accept that you're just one person, babe. Thanks. I, God, I'm going to cry. You're just I, one person. I don't know. We'll oh. cry. I just feel like I, I forgot her. Obviously, but you're just one person. So I tried to remember, but I I and I think I better explain why I was so single minded on this. I grew up in a really abusive family and I was sexually abused as a child and nobody did anything. And I was not. I'm I'm gonna fight this. I'm gonna stand up and say no. And she's gonna get her day in court and she's gonna say, yes, this did happen. And I did everything to make sure that that, that she got that. So If you need to talk to someone about sexual assault, call 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or visit their website. Thank you to our guests today and thank you to our patrons, Joanna Wilson, Eilish Neglin, Lily Jones, Alana Godden, Melanie Saunders, Nicholas Gonzalez and Shana Atkins. Don't forget there's another episode up this week featuring Narelle Fraser and Lorraine Blackwell in which they discuss the origins of the socket units. And thank you very much for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a QA. and a If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a and a with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.